1: Follow the global story from the BBC, wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven
3: quality at lower than low prices.
2: In fact, we guarantee
3: that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love.
4: Welcome to Go Ask Alley, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth and you're listening to Go Ask Alley, where this season I'm asking the question, how do you grow a teenager in a pandemic? Today, we're discussing teen suicide prevention and healing. My guest is Dr. Jennifer Ashton. She's the medical correspondent for ABC, the author of Life After Suicide, and she's also my
2: gynecologist. (laughs) Hi, Jen. (laughs) That's the most important title, Alex. That's what I think. Unfortunately, you should put that first. Actually, maybe I should chiron that in my Yeah, Yeah, why not? Just
4: see if anyone's paying attention. I know our audience would love to hear about my hormone uh, <laughs> rates. Um, I do want to talk to you about this because I am concerned. I've done some podcasts about uh, depression and anxiety uh, for teens during this pandemic. And of course, your book, Life After Suicide, um, I had sort of a, a moment of, my gosh, I should be talking to Dr. Ashton about what's happening right now in the world with our teens. First, let's let's talk about your book a little bit because it was a very personal story and I would like you just to fill in the few the few listeners here who didn't read it what that personal journey was. Well, Allie, I
2: mean, you kind of um just because of what your other half does for a living, kind of lived it with me. I had reported about suicide as then senior medical correspondent of ABC news. I had of course lost friends to suicide. I had dealt with, um, suicidal depression with my patients, but on February 11th, 2017 the father of my children, Rob Ashton, who was also a doctor ended his life by suicide out of the blue. Um, Two weeks almost to the day after our very amicable and mutual divorce, we were really proud of how we handled it. We were calling it the evolved divorce. You know, we still loved each other. We weren't in love with each other. We lived right across the street from each other. We were always great co parents with each other. And we felt really good about the fact that we were able to end our marriage but show our children that it didn't have to be done in the war of the roses kind of way that unfortunately so often occurs and um that saturday morning uh, i had gone to a spin class and i came back my son alex who was a freshman at columbia at that time had been home with like a flu-like illness he was home um, with me Three detectives came to my door and uh, I I thought I was getting like a traffic ticket, like for making an illegal U-turn the night before. They said, ma'am, please sit down. They told me that they had found my number with a note that said, call my wife um, on Rob's body and that he had just uh, jumped from the George Washington Bridge at that moment, as anyone who's suffered the loss of a loved one from suicide knows, our world just shattered. And um, I mean, my my only thought, my first and only thoughts were my kids, Alex and Chloe. Um, Chloe was at boarding school an hour away. Um, and I I just completely lost it. I I called my brother and that was the only person I could manage to call myself. And And there were no
4: signs, right? There were nothing that concerned you before that.
2: None. Well, as anyone, again, plays Monday morning quarterback, you know, and look back. Yeah. Now there are things that I look back on and say, I knew that didn't feel right to me, but you are a hundred percent correct. None of the typical signs that we learn about in medical school, not one. Um, I had just seen Rob that Wednesday at one of Chloe's ice hockey games. And I thought he didn't look great, but again, we were there together. We were talking. He walked my dog for me at the game. You know, it was, it, it, I thought it was like, you know, kind of normal. Oh, we just finalized our divorce kind of thing. Or he he had told me he was having issues at work. Um, but none of the classic signs that we learn about in medical school. So, you know, after that happened, Alex and Chloe and I, I'm am way fast forwarding, no, and obviously yeah. th- this is just three years old, so as anyone who's been through a crisis will say, it's not like you're ever through it. You're just in a different chapter of it. I know that's how the three of us feel because we're still always learning. There's always surprising ways that it kind of peeks around the corner, or jumps out at you, and... Um, but kind of from the beginning, we learned a lot, both about ourselves, about suicide, about mental illness, and we all decided kind of intuitively and instinctively that we wanted to live in a way that honored Rob's memory and spirit. He was an incredible surgeon and a, a gr- amazing father, amazing friend, and we didn't want to let anger or any of the negative, but normal feelings, normal, become a secondary tragedy. And then when Kate Spade ended her life with suicide, as you remember, um, I got a call from one of the producers at Good Morning America. And she said, we want you to talk about um, Kate Spade's suicide, but not as a doctor, not as our medical correspondent, you know, if you would just share your experience. And I said, only if it's okay with my kids. And barely before I even hung up with her, I asked them and they both said, mom, you have to talk about this. You have to use your platform, your voice. You speak to millions of people every day. And I said, why would anyone care what we're going through? Like 47,000 people in the United States died by suicide that year. Rob was one of them you know, what's different about us. But isn't it great that your two teenagers, that that
4: was their reaction, that you should talk about it? I can't imagine, you know, saying to my mother whose parents committed suicide, oh, you should go out and, you know, talk about it back in the 80s. I can't imagine that. This is what's so great about this next generation is how open they are and how willing they are to have these conversations.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's not always obviously easy for them but they are all about like owning it you know mm-hmm. and and having difficult conversations and exposing others to experiences and viewpoints and it does take a massive amount of courage and emotional maturity and look i i mean they had it when i didn't to be honest with you and God, that night, Allie, I remember it. And I talk about it in Life After Suicide that I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, what if I lose it? I went on with George and, you know- um, It was so you know.
4: human. It was just so human and so moving. And to see you who who usually comes out and informs us about breast cancer or right now a lot about covid for you to be a human being in that
2: moment is really—it's truly what everybody wants. Listen, we have to talk about a lot of painful, horrible things in the news. That's the reality of life. But but you're right. When it's you, all of a sudden, um, you can only do that in a safe place. And right. whether that safe place is, you know, with someone that I've been working with for nine years, or a safe place being like your living room with one of your closest friends or a, or a support group. group. Yeah.
4: You know, I've read all the statistics of suicide in, in that has affected people um, you know, 54, 54%, I guess, uh, of people in the United States have been affected by suicide. Then I think about teens and I have to ask you, the rates must have gone up since the pandemic started. I well, would assume
2: I would assume also, but like so many statistics that we need hard data on, they, I haven't seen any yet, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that probably by the time we see it, in some ways, it'll be too late. The good news is that the mental health community was on the lookout for this literally from the get-go. Right. Um you know, this isn't a surprise. This isn't like, oh, you would be shocked if that happened. Very much like this pandemic, there are warning signs and we can expect so we can try to be hopefully proactive. Yeah. You know, the screen, we think that this screen connects us, it doesn't. It doesn't connect us in the way that human beings need to be connected. It's a right, surrogate, let, let, right? Okay, let, let's go through this.
4: When I think about sort of the, the, Fears of teenage suicide. I think, well, teenagers are social. They need to be out in the world, making their mistakes, you know, being risky, whatever that is. And now they're confined, you know, for most of the country, they're confined at home. So, what are the repercussions of that? So, I think on the one hand, um, oh, this is, you know, this is so horrible. They're becoming so insulated that, you know, they're going to be behind closed doors in their dark room. Oh my God. And then on the other hand, I think, Well, they're under my roof, so I can monitor them. Um, And so maybe, you know, maybe that's okay. And then you bring up social media. And I think, well, a lot of experts I've I've spoken to have said, well, they feel connected. That's their social life. And that's Mm -hmm. good. And you, you Mm -hmm. know, don't put a lot of pressure on screen time right Mm -hmm. now. But mm-hmm. then I go, but that opens up more bullying and all <laughs> kinds of other things that lead to depression and suicide. So I'm trying to find a balance. Um, and I'm trying to find a, a way to help parents because right now in the pandemic, there are heightened yeah. depression, hopelessness, and family turmoil, which are three of the big things that can lead to suicidal thoughts or suicide itself.
3: Right. Go.
2: I completely <laughs> agree. Well, no, we're done. We're yep. done What you just Thank said you. that, that is, was go ask yep. Allie. That was Dr. <laughs> <Ashton>. <laughs> but, but I think that what, what you just said, yes, yes. And more. Yes. I think the only thing I would add to that is that I believe that as parents, we need to start talking to our children about suicide, the same exact way we talk to them about like, don't get in a car with a stranger, you know, about drugs, about sex it, it, at certain point, you know, like the same way. How do we the do that? same way. Okay, Tell me how way, to talk to my kids about suicide. One way we do it is, do you know the text helpline? Do you know the, the real phone line? 1-800-273-TALK. We teach our kids 911 when they're three years old, we should teach them 1-800-273-TALK. 741-741 is the text number. There's 24 seven trained mental health professionals that anyone with a device can contact. And do I say, do I say,
4: do I, do we say to our teenagers, if you're feeling these feelings of depression
2: and no way out, you should call this number. Oh yeah. yeah. I would start there. I would say there's always help. There's always hope you're never alone. This is a temporary feeling Literally, I believe, and and this isn't just my opinion. This is from you know our therapist that this I put this in my book. This is how we need to start addressing this problem with children and teenagers because unfortunately, they will know someone who dies by suicide. You've seen these statistics, Ali. They are yeah. terrifying that you know, 20%. In some cases, 25% of teens have contemplated suicide in the last 30 days during this pandemic. I mean, okay, one study says one thing, one survey says another, but even if it's 5%, even if it's 1%, we need to talk to them. So like, are you Liz, ever
4: concerned that your teenagers would or have a gene or would somehow inherit this that would have been my first thought, I think, is oh my god, how will this affect my children?
2: So obviously instead every of the single emotional. day. Yeah. Every single day, Allie. First of all, I think how much do we worry about our teenage kids or, you know, at baseline, right? It's like constant, 100% constant. of the time. Yeah. And and now because of what I know and what we've lived through and then what you hear and see and read and learn, and this pandemic, 1,000% is taking a toll on people's mental health across the board.
4: So wouldn't, wouldn't a springing off point be that chances are you know somebody or know somebody who knows somebody that was affected by suicide? For instance, for me, uh, I would sit down with my two teenage daughters and say, you know, uh, my grandparents killed themselves. And the reason I'm bringing both that- Both of them? Both of them together. Yeah. My mother's parents did it in the back of a car with suicide notes. My grandmother uh, jumped off the building in Paris, and my grandfather drank himself to death in a hotel room. But that's suicides. Yeah. All four. Holy shit. Yeah. It manifests itself in so many different ways. Oh, my God. And I would say to my kids, you know, this is in our family, Let's talk about it. Because I always think with teenagers, if you, if you bring something up and they have zero connection to it, they're just
2: going to tune out. Right. And we also know as parents that you, you need to not just say something once, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like again and again and again. So I think what you just said is perfect. I would, I would tack on to that. This is no different than high blood pressure running in our family. We need to understand that we're at risk our behavior is one way that we can lower our risk. You know, I said to Alex and Chloe, the day after Rob died, you know, as we were driving back from the therapist, I said, let me be clear. Therapy will be a permanent part of the rest of our lives, whether wow. you feel good or not. It is now you go to the dentist a couple times a year. We are now plugged into a therapist. For the rest of our lives because of what you just said, because it's in their, their family, because we all suffered a trauma. It doesn't mean we're destined to repeat that just like anything else in medicine, but it does mean that we can take these proactive steps. And I will tell you that once you know someone who's died by suicide, it, it's almost like now it's on the table, right? It yeah. should never be on the table. But unfortunately it is for our kids. So what do I do about that other than just literally like if one of my kids has a fight with their boyfriend or girlfriend, I'm like, oh my God. Cause you never know. You never what's know. Important. What's, what's significant to us might not be significant to them and vice versa. And so I make sure checking in, um, you know, my, my radar is up because let me tell you, as a doctor who was, I was married to this man for 22 years. I'm sure any of your listeners can imagine what goes through my head. How did I not see this? How did I not, was that a sign, even though it was a typical sign? And so I try not to blame myself, but you can only control what you can control. And I think as parents talking about it in the way that we tell our kids, Oh, um, you know, if someone pulls up in a van and asks to give you a ride, uh, right. don't get in. Like, right. same way.
4: We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back.
0: Escape to Summer with Victoria's Secret.
4: Welcome back with more Go Ask Alley. I think now, like, dear Evan Hansen, people are addressing suicide in a way that is targeting younger audiences, which is very helpful because we've had discussions in our house based on seeing these things. But I want to go through for people who are maybe not aware of what the, uh, particular teen who would be at risk for suicide would be? Like you said, sometimes there's no signs at all. And I've, I've known families that have dealt with a suicide and there
2: was not a single sign. My first recommendation would be ask for professional help. Okay. There are social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, um, you know, trained mental health counselors that do this for a living there's more resources in some ways available to people, whether it's online or by phone, tele remotely now during the pandemic, whatever. You can say, what do, what do I say? What language do I use? Because people are afraid to talk about this. Also, we,
4: when, when should they make this phone call? That's what I'm very concerned about, is at what point do you think, mm, this is more than just kind of
2: pandemic depression? I, I would say first, as with everything, uh whether it's just for your own health or as a parent, trust your instincts. <laughs> Big time. Okay. Number one. Number two, ask the child, are you having thoughts of hurting yourself or or ending your life? And if they say yes, you have to take it seriously. Okay? What if it's, it's a like, teen?
4: What if it's a teen that uh I'm not gonna say cries wolf, but what if it's a teen that uses that
2: as a weapon to entice, to scare parents? Yeah. I mean, listen, that's possible. I have patients who fall into that category, but in medicine, if you call me and say, Jen, I'm having chest pain, but I think it's indigestion, I'm not gonna say it's probably indigestion. Let's roll the dice, but it could be a heart attack, Allie, but Well, I guess we'll know tomorrow if you're still breathing, you know, like you, you might have a kid who cries wolf and guess what? Every time they say it, you're going to have to act on it and you can address the manipulation or the acting out or whatever down the road, but at least you'll be addressing it with someone who's alive.
4: The other thing I I wanted to ask you, um, I think that there has to be an education for teens to help each other because yes. it's one thing for a parent to talk to teens it's another for teens to kind of look f- out for each other yeah. and so you know as parents we do the hey if your friend is really drunk you know call me or if you're you think your friend is being sexually assaulted do this in this case how do we educate our
2: teens to help each other same way sex can be difficult for parents to talk to their kids about i do it for a living so for me i'm like um Okay. My kids used the yeah. word vagina when they were like three. Actually, Chloe said busgina, but not sure why. I'm not sure how many people were getting <laughs> on or off. But um, you know, like drinking or whatever, homosexuality. You know, right. anything like that. But we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable as parents because the stakes are just that high. So whatever language you're using with sex, basically substitute in you know, depression, suicidal thought and say the same thing. If you have a friend come to you, you know, young Ally, and say, I, I don't think that I want to live anymore. You tell an adult immediately, you know, a parent, a doctor, a police. I mean, the more, the better. Mm-hmm. I say my my medical motto is fill the boat. You know what? Let the person be angry at you. Let be wrong. At least, you know, you won't be saying, why didn't I take that seriously?
4: Even if, even if they didn't, even if they don't say, I want to kill myself, I would
2: assume there are other signs of, of red flags. uh, There are, and there are some, there are some classic ones and these lists are up all over the place, but basically a big change in their social behavior. So let's say you have a social kid who all of a sudden becomes withdrawn, doesn't leave their room, stops talking, stops coming to the dinner table. You know, a big change in their academic performance. They were a decent student. They were a great student. All of a sudden they start missing school, cutting class, getting D's, failing tests, whatever. Um, A change in their appetite. You know, all of a sudden they stop eating, substance abuse, risky behavior that they're like all of a sudden taking Look, teenagers take risks for a living. That's what their developmental task is. But a big deviation from that in someone who then starts using language like, I just can't take this anymore. I don't know how I can keep going. Whatever it is, okay, Mm -hmm. feeling like a burden, Mm -hmm. feeling like they're alone, and feeling hopeless and helpless is one of the triads that puts people in that, you know, square. Venn diagram area of high risk for suicide. Um, so I, I think the more talking, the better. Listen, it's hard to say as a parent, I'm really scared for you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they need to know that there is hope and help. Those are the two things. And look, uh, you know, our parents, I, I think our kids teach us as parents more than we teach them. Absolutely. I don't know what you think about Absolutely.
4: that, right? Absolutely, 100%. But in, you know, with that idea, because my girls school me every single day, my question is, because I really don't know, what happens after you make these calls? What? Ha- where does your teen go? What happens? And <sighs> okay, I, know, well, I know it depends on socioeconomic means and everything, but what would be a typical thing that would happen? Because as a, as a parent, I go, oh God, would they, take my teen away to some hospital well, or prison. He, well, or-
2: here's the thing is that unfortunately and this is staggering and I'm really glad you asked that because you're not going to like the answer but it's important for people to know this. I I have actually had three patients um who were suicidal whose parents whose mothers were also my patient who called me and said so and so is threatening to kill herself. What do I do? And I've said, call the, one of them was in New York and the daughter was in LA. And I said, call the police. Okay. Number Mm -hmm. one, Mm -hmm. number two, take her to an emergency room. Because if this happens during the day and you call 1-800-PSYCHIATRIST, It's like calling 1-800-GYNECOLOGIST. You'll get an appointment in three months. That's really not going to help you, right? And believe it or not, you know how many trained mental health professionals there are in the country? I have no idea. Judging from your face, I don't think it's enough. Half a million. Wow. In the country. Wow. Okay. So treat this like a medical emergency. Because it is. Mm -hmm. That's how we have to start looking at mental illness no differently than if you had an asthma attack as a teenager or diabetes as a teenager or an adult. It's a medical emergency. If you can't get a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a counselor on the phone in the middle of the night, you, you need to bring your kid to an emergency room. Most emergency rooms have psychiatric ERs as part of them. And then They they at least will be safe for the next couple of hours or days when you can make a plan or get some resources and some care. Okay, let me. I gotta ask you something.
4: I gotta ask you something because this is completely coming from me personally. I would be worried if I was concerned about one of my daughters and I called the police or I took her to the emergency room. That somehow I was putting her in like a pipeline that she could never get out. Like it all kinds of no. like girls interrupted, or what if she was just depressed? And all of a sudden I, I had her put, put in a psychiatric hospital and, and suddenly that's like on her
2: life resume for the rest. No, of r- no. Okay. I mean, first of all, I, I get that as totally reasonable concern. Right. But this is where I, I want to encourage your listeners to think like a doctor, Mm -hmm. okay, which is you think of the most life-threatening thing at the top of the list, even though it might be rare, If that can kill you, that goes at the top and you address that and you do everything that you need to do to address that, right? And then you start working your way down. This is kind of the same thing. You say, listen, you just told me that you don't want to live another day. You're in such pain. You don't want to continue living. You, You want to kill yourself. We're going to the emergency room. And I will tell you that even though we may not be able to understand this because we've never had suicidal thoughts, Mm -hmm. what my therapist told me is that a non-suicidal person at the lowest point, and so you take our kids, whatever the lowest point is, right? A breakup or parents getting divorced or financial issues or someone sick. With COVID, without COVID, it doesn't matter, right? Whatever their low point is, a non-suicidal person, somewhere, even a teenager, in their mind will say, this can't last forever. Tomorrow, I'll feel better. Or, you know, we're going to come out of this, Right? okay? A suicidal person will say, the pain tomorrow is going to be 10 million times worse than how I feel right now. I have to get out. And- It's not the only description of someone who's suicidal, right? But I think to me, that really drove the point home. So if your kid is telling you that they don't want to live another day and they're, you know, all these things and you think it's bad enough that you have no choice but to go to an emergency room, think of that comparison and understand that all they want is for their pain to go away. And if that's where it has to go away with temporary medication or even some sedation, that will buy you time. And if they don't
4: verbalize it, if they don't say "I can't live another day," but you see that they are extremely depressed and in pain,
2: you do the same thing, right? You take it upon well, yourself to make that call. I mean, right? you, you you better be calling that kid's pediatrician, calling some doctor. Call, I mean, listen you know that, you know, the kind of doctor I am on and off the air, right? I Mm -hmm. have gotten calls from my patients about their male adult children who are suicidal because they don't know where, what, what should I do? Jen, what should I do? You know? And I'm like, get on a plane and go to where your kid is. I don't care whether they're 20, 26, 16, and, you know, take these steps, right? This is why it's so important that you're talking about this, Allie.
4: Now, a quick word from our sponsors
0: Escape to Summer with Victoria's Secret.
4: Welcome back to Go Ask Alley. Let's get back to the discussion. I think about teenagers right now who are dealing with so much during this pandemic. Is there a way for teens to help other teens whose parents are sort of getting very dark, getting very depressed? I mean, I worry about adults as much as I do our teens, yeah. but right now the teens might be in living situations where
2: The parents aren't functioning well. I think that depending on the age, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a 17-year-old will be able to have a different conversation than a 10-year-old or a 7-year-old. But I think that it's never too young or too early to start teaching our children that if they see something or feel something that doesn't feel right or look right or sound right to them, they should ask for help. Mm -hmm in my therapist's opinion, and in my opinion, that's what took Rob's life. It's the inability to ask for help. That's the fatal blow, right? Right. There can be a lot of other factors that come into play. But if anyone can say, I don't feel well, like you can teach a seven-year-old that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't feel well. I, I need help. And if you see mommy or daddy not acting right, get help. Go to some other adult and say, daddy doesn't look right. Mommy doesn't look right. Mommy's, you know, sleeping a lot. Mommy, I see mommy taking a lot of You know, we've all gone through these different stages and it has to be an age-appropriate conversation. But I will tell you one thing, Allie, there's no right or wrong way to increase awareness and to try and help this situation. But for sure, not talking about it is wrong. And whispering about it is wrong. And in 2020, when we have to have just an open-minded acceptance of so many things in our world, this has to go, in my opinion, to the top of the list.
4: What were people saying and doing for you right after Rob's suicide that were helpful? I think that a lot of times people don't know how to help people that have gone through it. Meaning, I, yeah. I, you know, I, the the obvious and dumb Answer is bring you a casserole or send you flowers. But I'm sure there were specific things that people did that made a difference for you during that period.
2: Yeah, you know, it's so they were so simple. They the things I mean, for two weeks, I was in shock. So everything was a blur. Yeah, You know, I remember literally my apartment looked like the frickin' botanical gardens. And so while those were all, I much think gray gardens,
4: I think gray gardens <laughs> is what you're looking for.
2: Exactly. That's right. <laughs> um, like all the cards that came, I didn't open them for probably a year. So while I appreciate them and I'm glad my children and I have them, that actually didn't help move the needle for us at that point. What helped me is just the friends that I had that were real friends, just texting me How are you? random doing? times, not even with a question. Interestingly, with nothing that needed a response from me, just thinking of you heart emoji or like, you know, wanna know want to know, want you to know I'm thinking of you or like, you know, even if it's, let me know if you need anything, just nothing that required a response on my part. Right. Right. But, but and, the intent of I'm here for you. Yeah. I'm and thinking, you're on my mind. And knowing you're on my mind. Knowing that I people were thinking of me, right? Um, for what helped my kids was immediately going back to school in about a week or less than a week and getting back into a familiar routine, even though it was very hard for them. Um, it must have, it must have
4: changed your relationship with them. You must be
2: almost joined at the hip now. You are, you hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. Yep. Um, but when they went back to school, I said, which was ironically good for me, but also terrifying for me. Um, because again, we don't realize we think we're being the ones helping them. They were helping me just as much. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but the therapist said, when you when your world has shattered, whether it's because of a pandemic or a suicide, what's critically important to all of us, but especially our kids, is the subconscious recognition of a routine because it sends messages to us subconsciously that everything is not different. There are some things that are the same. That's my friend. That's my classmate. I'm sitting in class. I'm I'm in my dorm room. I'm whatever, whatever, right? There are some things that I can still count on that are not changed. So, Which in a pandemic, I
4: think you need to do that, especially if you're quarantined right now. You have to have dinner at a certain time and sit down together and and in this new normal, try to make whatever remnants of routines you used to have. You have to really implement them now more than ever because
2: everything's uncertain, everything. Totally, totally. And so- you know, I think that that's, there's a lot we can learn from our kids when it comes to that, but there's also a lot we can teach them. Like you said, we we have to establish these new routines for our kids yep. so that they don't start looking for the old one because they're not going to find it. And that can be unsettling.
4: Jen Ashton, I, you know, I could talk to you till the fat cows come home. Your book, Life After Suicide is incredibly important for everybody to read. I think, thank you for being with me today. Thank you for talking to me about that. I, I am worried that teenagers have a hard time in general.
2: And certainly right now um, it's scary times. But I Ali, really appreciate glad, it. I, I, um, it's an honor to talk about this important topic with you. And it shows that you're not just hilariously funny, but you're also like ridiculously brave to tackle the the important topic that you know, we laugh, as you know, as part of a coping mechanism, which is healthy, hundred percent, totally healthy. Yep, right. Um, and I think that's why you're so healthy because I'm because I'm, not co- just talking about I'm your coping. Vagina, I'm coping with right? so much. Yeah, that's right. But you, but but comedy and laughter is important part of coping, healthy coping, and it's part of the human spirit. But we have to be able to also talk and cry together. And um, have these important conversations because our kids need to hear them. And as, as we've said, we all need to be a little more comfortable with being uncomfortable because um, that's just part of life. So thank you for doing this. And thank you. congrats, sister. Wow, you're, you're not just...
4: supposed to congratulate me on my own podcast. I'm supposed to oh, congratulate God. and thank you. Um,
2: Who but... will play you when it becomes a movie? That's what I
4: Charlize want to know. Charlize Theron, of course. I thank you, and I love you, and Allie, love you too. You'll see my vagina soon, <laughs> and it is a
2: beautiful <laughs> vagina. Let me just say, wear a mask. A <laughs> that has that has new meaning. Yes, right?
4: it does. Thank you for listening to Go Ask Allie. Dr. Jennifer Ashton's book again is called Life After Suicide. Remember to subscribe and follow me on Twitter, Allie E Wentworth, or Instagram, the real Allie Wentworth. Go Ask Ali is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.